0: Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Amy. And this is Monumental, a small show about the big things God does in the lives of ordinary people. Today we hear a difficult story of a young girl who suffered
1: physical and sexual abuse. Please note the contents of this episode are for the mature listener. Throughout the years she suffered abuse, she sought to know God and understand His purposes in her life. This is a story of God's mercy and protection inwardly as he used the suffering to draw her to himself and give her strength, courage, and compassion. This is the story of Tracy and how she came to faith in Jesus Christ against all odds.
2: My earliest memory was my mother choking me and looking up into her face, and and it's filled with rage in her. Her eyes are angry, and her mouth is twisted, and all I know is I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what I've done or why she's so angry, and I think I'm going to die.
1: How old were you?
2: I can't even tell you. I I don't even know if I was speaking. Um, mm-hmm. If I was, I, I'd say oldest, I was probably just a toddler. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't remember speaking. I mean, I couldn't. Her hands were on my throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember feelings and, and being afraid. Mm-hmm. And that happened many, many times growing up. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have memories of what happened in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the maybe the good times. Um, I don't have even normal memories, really. I just have these snapshots in my mind.
1: Mm-hmm. What was your home life? life like i mean was your father around do do you have siblings
2: so at this time at the time of this memory my mother would have been married to her second husband Uh, my father was her first husband and they divorced around the time that i was one well i say that about the memory but actually i suppose it could have happened i suppose when she's married to my dad because he was gone a lot with work and i was left alone with my mother a lot so that continued when she married her second husband So I don't really remember. I just know he would come home at night, and it seemed like that's when there might have been a little bit of a structure, a routine. Mm -hmm. He'd come home. We'd have supper. Mm -hmm. Um, The supper table was always a tense time for me. I... I used to hum a lot, uh, especially if I heard a tune or a song, I would be humming it all day. I still do that. And (laughs) so I would sit down at the table, and maybe I'd be humming something. But if I was humming at the dinner table, and when my stepfather would sit down to eat, he would get very angry and crack his belt and lay it beside me. And he would say, stop humming, Tracy. And I would stop humming, but then I also suddenly had no stomach for my food. Mm. And so I would also stop eating. Uh, Sometimes there was a standoff about that and sometimes not as long as I was quiet and the dinner could continue in relative peace.
1: Mm.
2: And so the dinner table quickly became a source of fear for me. I I didn't want to get it wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't want to forget because humming is a very subconscious thing. You don't always know you're doing it. And uh, so those are some of my earliest memories Something I learned years later that my aunt told me that I have no recollection of was that my mother kept a lock on the refrigerator. So, And yeah. that was because? I don't know. Either. I don't know. I know when I was older, as a teenager, she would have foods and, and stashes of food away in the house that were just kind of off limits. I, I We just accepted it. We never questioned it. Mm. I think it had always been that way. And I don't know if she was saving it for something or, or what it was. I, like I said, I, the lock wasn't there as a teenager. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that's because children sometimes just tend yeah. to get in the fridge. <laughs> yeah.
1: My kids certainly do. <laughs> it almost makes you wonder what she may yeah. have gone through, mm-hmm. that she would be fearful of food going away. Right. Or whatever. Well, I mean, maybe that wasn't it. I don't know. Yeah,
2: I I don't know. Unfortunately, we never got to discuss that before she passed away.
1: Do you have any siblings? So, yes, I I have
2: a full brother who is five years older. We have the same dad. So we were together until I was about one. And then when my mother and father divorced, he went to live with my dad and my mother took me. And uh, we did not grow up together. So the brother I'm closest to would be my mother's second husband's son. We yeah. have the same mother. So my brother Michael, who's five Michael. years older, the time that we did live together before my mom and dad divorced, my aunt would tell me stories again that my mom would be on the phone for hours and I'd be screaming in my crib. And my five, my then five-year-old brother would crawl up the crib and get me out. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was less than one yeah. and would feed me yeah. my bottle and to be quiet. I mean, he would tell yeah. mommy, you know, sissy's hungry. And, well, and yeah. so, um, as a parent now that terrifies mm-hmm. me to think yeah. of my five-year-old son getting a baby that out of a responsibility! <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just yeah. can't imagine. And you know, that he didn't drop me. It's just a mercy that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that he was able to do it successfully.
0: <laughs> would you tell us, cause I do think this is an important piece. Some of the circumstances of around your birth, you know, I remember you said that your aunt kept telling you you were a miracle baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about why? and Right. So I did
2: have an aunt who told me that. And the reason is that I was born premature. And so you have this earliest memory of being choked. And then from maybe about the time I'm five years old on, I have these many memories of an aunt telling me, oh, you're a miracle baby. And there's all these conversations surrounding my birth. And my mother uh, delivered me around 26 weeks and it was emergency uh, by ambulance and I had to go to Bloomington Hospital and then they flew me to Riley and this was in the 70s. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a big deal back yeah. then. And, um, God, God had it saw fit that I would survive my birth and my mother too, because it, it was life threatening for her as well. Mm-hmm. And, My aunt would talk about that and it was a miracle. I I don't doubt that at all. But very early on that created a a dichotomy in me because I have my aunt telling me I'm a miracle Mm -hmm. baby and she clearly values that. Mm -hmm. And then I have these early Mm -hmm. memories and and a mother who terrifies me. Mm, And so I'm trying to understand. And I just remember early on uh, asking God why I was here. You know, as I grew more and more, and maybe even into pre-adolescence, I was wondering why am I here? You know, He clearly let me live mm-hmm. um, at that. You know, from the time I was born till about twelve, my mother we attended a Nazarene church, so I I was in church. I knew of a God. I I believe those things. Just with I think the knowledge that God instinctively gives everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was not a believer, but I did question and I cried out to God a lot. A lot of times in anger, I didn't understand why, why he had me survive my birth, and then I had a mother who did not seem to want me or value me, mm. um, and I and I could never get it right. I couldn't figure out how to make her happy. I couldn't understand why I was here. You know, it, it seemed mm. God was silent, and mm. so I was just very unhappy. Uh, a lot and had a lot of questions about churches and the Bible, and I would sit during the sermons and hear the pastor preach and i would try to follow along in my bible and sometimes it seemed those things did not line up mm-hmm. and i would ask questions but then i was 12 yeah. and so <laughs> the answer was always you know you're a child you're 12 you know you, you know trust the pastor and and sometimes i just think the adults maybe didn't know the answers to the questions either and yeah. so it was easier yeah just you'll get it when you're older yes um, yeah mm-hmm. yes and sadly the I, I don't recall. It seems I might have went to the pastor once, but clearly that did not go well because I never attempted that again.
0: <laughs> and... Do you remember at all what he said to you? Or you just remember no. it? Can't do that again? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just <clears throat> had fear anytime I would think about it. Again, but keep in mind, I I was very sensitive. I'm sure I'm still a very sensitive person, <laughs> so it may not have taken much for me to be discouraged from asking the pastor further questions about his sermons and what the Bible says. And so I do remember vividly the two recurring themes in my prayers to God were why Why did you let me live? Why am I mm-hmm. here?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then a big question was which church is right? Uh, I, You know, I was aware I was in a Nazarene church, but we'd drive to church or in town and I'd see Catholic churches and Methodist and Church mm-hmm. of God and all these churches. And, and I knew they can't all be right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: And so I was trying to find the church yeah. that held most closely
0: mm-hmm. to God's word. Did you have when friends s- that... Were from other churches that you were like, well, maybe they're right? Or did you just noticed your observation. Yeah,
2: at that yes. time in my life, no. Um, okay. I, I was in a Nazarene church, and any friends I had, I probably only saw on Sundays. Right. Uh, at school, I don't remember talking. I think some of my friends probably didn't even go to church at all. Right. And so the only other church that I came to be involved in wasn't going to happen <laughs> until a few years later at this stage. I just was, I just knew, right, all the different denominations that were out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and was curious about it, just really wanting to know. I wasn't necessarily thinking that my church was wrong,
0: right? You know, yeah, I wasn't going you that were far. I just curious about why there were so many yeah, differences. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, and then if yeah. you know, clearly I didn't always agree with what the pastor interpreted from the scripture, even at twelve,
1: right? <laughs> and so
2: then I was wondering, well, how do people sort this out? Yeah. How yeah. if everyone's reading it and getting something different?
1: Yeah. So, at what point did you start actually getting to investigate that more? Where, where did God take you in your Search. (laughs) Right. So it's funny how sometimes we pray
2: something and then something happens, and we can mistake that for an answer Mm. or that God Mm. is just not hearing us. And for me, it came with my mom's divorce. The topic of church and faith and what the truth was was kind of put on hold when she divorced her second husband and we moved to Kentucky. And suddenly we were not in church at all, Mm. we weren't attending. I had bigger concerns because she was quickly uh, interested in another man and and he was an alcoholic. And so mm-hmm. the same thought about why I'm here never really stopped. That was still a cry of my heart mm-hmm. to God. and But the church focus slipped for a while mm-hmm. yeah. as I was just dealing with other things. And my mother didn't value it. No one in my life valued, you know, they didn't care yeah. that we weren't going to church anymore.
1: Yeah. yeah. Did her, your earliest memories of her abusing you. Did that abuse continue throughout your life or? So somewhere.
2: I would, I would say maybe around 10, maybe even as young as eight. I think it, the physical abuse stopped, um, the choking particularly stopped. She would still become very angry and scream and yell. And mm-hmm. now my brother, I, she still would be physical with my brother, uh, but she stopped with me. And, uh, so that was, it was a good thing, I suppose, on the one hand, I some of it was just I'm bigger, and it was probably a harder thing for her to accomplish than mm-hmm. when I was small, but the the screaming got worse in in the things that she would say. I probably didn't understand them when I was small, but then I understood them, you know, when I was older, yeah. and surprisingly, it wasn't always cruel looking back at it as a mother myself. I think sometimes she just didn't know what else to do. you know she had her own. Issues and emotions and things I'm sure going on inside of her, and so her response is, "Yes, they were sinful, and they were wrong, uh, and damaging." But then I think she was hurting. So you know, you've heard that saying, "Hurt yeah. people hurt people." Yeah, that is so mm-hmm. true. And my mother never learned how to respond rightly when she hurt us. Mm-hmm. She would not take responsibility. Even as I grew older and tried to speak with her about these things, she would tell me that I would do the same thing to my children Mm. or that I deserved it. Mm. So she never was able to just
1: acknowledge her own sin. Okay. So now you're about teenage years. You, you're not going to church anymore. Your mother's getting remarried to, you said an alcoholic. Yes. Mm. Yes. So, um, shortly after we
2: moved to Kentucky, she got involved with a man and they were quickly married and, when I would come home from school every day he would be drunk. And he is what I would have what I would say now is he was a harmless drunk. He wasn't violent. He didn't cause fights or or be abusive, but he was he would stagger around the house mm-hmm. and then I would worry that he'd fall or hurt himself or break something. Mm-hmm. And then he would tell us stories he would and sometimes they weren't always true. I had a dog at the time, and he told me he killed my dog. just mm. I didn't want to believe him, and it turned out my dog was missing at the time um and so I did believe him at first, and then discovered that that, that was not the case. but I didn't want to have to deal with this right? When right. I came home from school, my mom was still at work, and I've got her husband you know staggering around the house, and you know he had no relationship with us, no care or feeling for us. But I remember looking to her second husband and asking myself could he be my dad you know would he be a dad to me and yes I had a roof over my head and he was a good provider but he was very cold and distant and so again there was no connection Mm -hmm. from him as a father I didn't remember my my true biological father because they divorced when I was so young I Mm -hmm. he was very busy with work and so now we're with her we're to her third husband and I'm wondering can this man be a, a dad in my life and Clearly, I mean, very early on before she even married him, I I realized that he had no heart to to be a father Mm. and was only really interested in my mother. And she, likewise, was only interested in him. And so the way that we had peace in the home was the kids pretty much stayed. My brother and I stayed at one end of the home and they stayed in their end. We lived in a trailer then. And that's how we had peace. We just stayed away from each other. Mm. When we had to come together, there would always be arguments or fights, and usually it revolved around what we needed that conflicted with what my mother or her husband needed. And Mm -hmm. so it was just better not to need, not to ask, just to stay out of the way. Did your
0: aunt have any idea how bad it was for you in your home?
2: Yes. Years later, I found out that she and her, uh, my my uncle, her husband, that they often talked into the night about, about our living situation and whether to report my mother, her Mm -hmm. sister. Um, And it just was a great source of conflict for my aunt. She never really knew what to do. Mm. She wanted to do it. But then her fear was if I went away or they took me away, she'd have no idea what was happening to me. Mm. um and so i think for her maybe the security of just knowing i was next door maybe if things got too bad they could intervene Mm. and she always told me every time i'd be there she'd say oh tracy you're welcome anytime just come over i think she was trying to throw me that lifeline you know just come over and i would have stayed at her house all the time if i could however my mother and my aunt did not have a great relationship and was a lot of jealousy I think my mother saw that her sister was successful in some ways that my mother just was not, could not be at that time, and uh, never was able to be before her death. And so I think it was a source of pain for my mom. And so for me to go over there, I always sensed, and well, and she even outright said sometimes, um, you know, you were there a long time or. are you going over there again? You know, it, it was yeah. clear that I was picking up on some disapproval from right. from her. And so I tried to be careful that I didn't go too far and prevent my ability to go, because then I knew she could get right. angry and just say, you're not going at all you're not allowed yeah. to go. So right. I had to ride to that, tight, that tight, that tightrope yeah. of. You know how much is too much, and yeah. and not always being a good judge of that, right? Because uh-huh. you have your desires warring within you, and and you want to go and, and be there all the time. So you yeah, were she, close with your cousins too. Yeah, me. my yeah, my cousin Tommy actually. Uh, we were at that time. I would have considered him my best friend. He was very social and probably had twenty best friends. Uh, but in my, <laughs> you were one of them in my world. Yes, he was probably about my best friend at that time. And we did everything together. We'd hang out in the woods all day long, and we'd mm-hmm. go climbing in my uncle's barn. And it just it was my some of my happiest memories at, at play were with my cousin Tommy. And so, um, I looked up to him and was just very grateful for his friendship.
1: Were they a Christian family?
2: Yes. So my aunt is a believer, and um, her family, they'd all been raised in church.
1: So you had some Christian influence by being around them?
2: Well, at this time in my life, yes. But when I lived in Indiana, for the first 12 years of my life, my aunt was in Kentucky. And so I only saw her around Christmas. I I just wonder how much of just the few visits I had with her, that God used those to Mm. give me a hunger for Mm. himself. and you know, fill me with those questions. You know, why am I here? And what? why did you create this world? And what is our purpose? And, I mean, I had these huge questions in my mind from an early age.
1: So at what point, because you said once you moved to Kentucky and your mom remarried, Mm -hmm. and so then you kind of got distracted from all those questions you were having at that time and going Mm to church, well, couldn't go to church. And then, Mm -hmm. so at what point did you sort of get back to your... So it's hunt an, for God or whatever. Yeah, it's an interesting it. story how God brought me back um to
2: to church. And um when we first moved to Kentucky, I remember being very concerned about the new school and not having friends. And another cousin, Anna, she was familiar with the school system and I was talking with her about it. And she said, Well, Tracy, when you get on the bus, just look for a girl named Heather, she'll be your friend. And I <laughs> remember thinking, Oh, Heather, Heather. I mean, I, I felt like, oh, she threw me a A life raft, you know. Here I was, just not sure how to navigate this whole new situation. And I, all I got to do is look for Heather, and she will be my friend. You know. (laughs) So, so every day, you know, on the bus, I would watch and wait and listen. I'd look at all the girls, and I try to listen to the conversations. I'm trying to hear this name, Heather, come up, (laughs) so I can, you know, I can make my uh, pitch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: you know. I was not brave enough to just stand up on the bus and say, How Hey. Heather, where are you? Yeah. yeah are Then any Heathers here? Please show yourself. Uh, How old are you? So at this time I'm 15. 15. Okay. Yes. <laughs> One day I heard someone say Heather and my head shot around so fast. And I saw this girl talking to this boy and I waited till they were done. And I kind of made my way over to her. And I was like, is your name Heather? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, I think, you know, my cousin, Anna. And she looks at me kind of funny, and she's like, "No, I don't, I don't know." And so I tried to describe Anna, and she just kept having this puzzled look. No, I don't think so. And finally, I just abandoned it. I figured, hey, this is Heather. <laughs> my cousin told me she'd be my friend. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if she remembers my cousin. So from that day this on, my
0: friend.
2: Yeah. From this, from that day on, uh, we just kept talking, and did, we did strike up a friendship, and. Um, and so very soon I would start to go to her house after school and mm-hmm. hang out with her family. And she had a very large family, uh, you know, they had large meals and their home was always very loud. And, you know, very soon it was, it was just, uh, another environment that I wanted to be in, right. Yeah. Either my aunt's house or my friend Heather's house. And, yeah. and then years later I discovered that, um, Heather and I became friends, you know, when I was 15 and struck up our friendship on the bus. And I think around like 17, this girl got on the bus one day and I heard somebody say Heather and my head shot up, right? Because I'm thinking my Heather, but it's not my Heather. It's a blonde girl named Heather. And I'm just watching her. And I just wondered all of a sudden, I was like, remembering how puzzled Heather had been (laughs) when I asked about my cousin. Yeah. And the light bulb kind of went on and I went up to this Heather and I was like, do you know my cousin Anna? And oh, yeah, she did, you know. She was telling me, you know, about her and, you know, kind of looking at me like, who are you? And and I'm like, okay, thank you. And I just sat back down. (laughs) And... Um, this girl, I just could tell from her conversation, not going to be a good friend for me. Mm. She was very wild and rebellious, and partying and drinking. I mean, wow. doing all these yeah. awful things. And so, you know, praise God that He kept that Heather from me. Yeah, yeah. and that He had a very different Heather in mind. That and so, so, that funny. was
0: the Heather yeah. that your cousin Anna was.
2: Yeah, talking. blonde <laughs> Heather was the Heather that my cousin <laughs> met, and the the Heather I ended up with was a believer and um very bold in, in her faith and dark haired uh, yeah so, so yeah funny. it's very different. It's just like oh my God. It's just... <laughs> yeah. God's like Yep, Anna, you're thinking that Heather I have a different Heather in mind. <laughs> <laughs> the Heather she really needs and so yeah, it's just funny how huh? that is so Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. That's really neat. That oh, other, so sweet. Heather would not have been good for me. Mm. So, Heather's family always went to church on Sundays. And so at some point she invited me. I started going with Heather. This was a Baptist church, very small, maybe 30 people. And I would go every Sunday with her. And it's interesting because this time I did not have those big questions weren't really circling in my mind. Um, I was... <laughs> Was it because life was going pretty well for you at the time? or I, I think I think it was the opposite. Um, I you know we had moved to a new place. My mom has a new husband. He's an alcoholic. Our meal time, such as it was, had deteriorated even more.
0: Yeah.
2: um the only time I really remember eating growing up was at school. You know, you got breakfast at school if you wanted it, and you you got lunch. and that's really when I remember eating.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I think things were actually worse, mm-hmm. uh, even though I wasn't being choked you know, my mother was never available and was annoyed if I needed her to be available. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and so I think it was actually worse and going to church with Heather on Sundays, I, I listened, I paid attention, uh, but for whatever reason, I just did not have the the desire. Um, God just had not, it's like it was still for a time. And from mm-hmm. when I was younger, you know, there's a period of about three years, 12 to 15. So, but yeah, so I was going to church with Heather every Sunday. And around this same time, I I was reaching my limit with my mother's third husband. Just the, I was so frustrated. I wanted out. I didn't want to have to come home from school every day and deal with him. And my mom's not there. And Mm -hmm. I just did not want to be in my home. And so I made this plan. It was a rather dumb plan uh, that I would run away. And so I made the plan with Heather, my one and only friend at that time. (laughs) And, you know, never make a plan to run away with your best friend ever. (laughs) You need to get a stranger involved. But (laughs) I did not know this. And so I uh, made my plan with Heather and got up in the middle of the night and walked over an hour to her house and basically was going to hide out in her woods. Her family had a lot of property. And so my plan was I'll be happier in the woods than in my house. So this worked for the course of that night and most of the next day and she would bring me food and you know, she came one time and said, hey, the police were here earlier and they were asking about you and I told them I didn't know anything and I mean, of course, I'm congratulating her, you know, right. for being such a good friend. Right, and right. Thank you, thank you. Well, as we know, the police, when they are doing their job, they are not going to be deterred and common uh-huh. sense told them that the first place I probably went was to my best friend's house Yeah, and yeah. so they came back to put on a little more pressure.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, did her parents not, her parents no. were trusting her at first. Uh, okay. Then after okay. the police left the first time, they started putting their own pressure on yeah. her. Because, yeah. again, they're, they're trying to connect the dots. Yeah. So um, the police came back and I think combined with her parents... Mm -hmm. pressure and the police saying hey you know we want to make sure your friend is safe Mm -hmm. and so she finally ratted me out (laughs) Um, and it was a good thing but she came flying through the woods down the hill she's like Tracy Tracy I had to tell I'm sorry they're coming (laughs) and so you know here I am 15 and I'm thinking I'm going to start bolting through the woods but I look up at the top of the hill and there are these two policemen who I'm pretty sure are a lot more fit than I am (laughs) And, uh, you know, they're going to catch me. And so I didn't really run at that point. I just went with them. And one of them, you know, I got in his car and he was going to drive me home. And so I'm sitting up front. And I have this police officer. And as we know, that position, you know, it commands a lot of respect and authority and he's in a uniform. And I, you know, I'm terrified on the inside on one hand, Um, mostly, honestly, more more terrified about my mom. Like, what is her reaction going to be? But then there's also this fear of I've got this cop here who's not very happy with me. (laughs) And so I just was not speaking. I wasn't saying anything. And I know that's hard to believe, but I was not speaking. (laughs) And the police officer kept trying to, you know, inkle it out of me. You know, why? Why did you run away? Um, You know, what's so bad at home that, you know, you Mm -hmm. had to leave and all of this. And I just wasn't going to tell him. And I didn't tell him. I didn't say anything. Why only God knows. I just there was no compulsion in me to share Mm. and when we You
1: weren't thinking like here's an opportunity to Yeah let somebody know how bad things are at home, maybe get some help. But it was just fear probably A lot of fear and I don't
2: recall ever thinking for a moment that he could fix it. Mm. Yeah. I just remember It was what's the use? Yeah. yeah, I I guess very defeatist kind of a Mm. fatalist mindset. I mean, again, I'm 15. I'm a teenager. Maybe that's just where my head was. Um, And so when we pulled in the driveway, I remember he looked over at me and he said, you're not going to talk fine. But let me tell you, if you do this again, we will have no choice but to put you in foster care. And you don't know where you'll end up. And just that not knowing of, wow, could there be worse than this? Mm -hmm. Like, really? I didn't have any experience with foster families except for Heather, my friend. Right. right? And that seemed to be a pretty good situation.
1: You know, she was in her. Her uh,
2: parents had two foster children.
1: Oh, okay, At the time. And
2: and so I thought, well, it, it could be a good thing. Um, you know, but again, that fear of the unknown, at least I knew what I was dealing with and I had certain measures (laughs) to guarantee my safety. So, but yeah, I, I didn't try to run away again, but things went from bad to worse because when the officer dropped me off and I went in the house, my mom was furious with me. And I think any parent can relate to that, right? It's Mm -hmm. this mixed bag of, I am so angry with you, but I'm so relieved that you're Okay. Uh, I wasn't picking up on relief. I was clearly picking up on the anger. And so she was so angry with me that she needed me to go stay at her dad's house for a week or two. This was my grandfather, my mom's dad. She just said, I, I can't have you here. You know, I need you out of the house. And so it was, I guess, maybe a punishment in a way for, for running away. And so I had to go stay with my grandpa, which at first I was okay with. Um, you know, I'd seen him every holiday since mm-hmm. I was small. They lived in Kentucky when we were living in Indiana. And they would come up around Christmas and we'd have holidays together. So I didn't really know him. I knew of him. My memories were that he was someone to be respected. You know, mm-hmm. he kind of commanded respect. And you kind of did what grandpa told you to, you know. yeah. And so a little bit of fear mingled in there, right, just because he was – you know, always knew what what he was about. And so when I went to stay with him, my cousin lived with him at the time. And so we just kind of hung out and my grandma was at work all day. So it was just the three of us. And I remember I was on the couch one day uh, reading a book. And at that time I read those romance novels and my grandpa saw the title on the book and said, oh, you like those novels. And I was like, um, yeah. The next thing he said to me was, And I remember thinking, what? Did he just say what I think he said Mm -hmm. to me? And I just froze inside and I was horrified. And then I was ashamed. I was reading this book and I always skipped those parts, but still, you know, (laughs) I had opened myself up for it. And so Mm. I stood up and left the room and tried to convince myself, like, maybe I heard it wrong. Mm. Maybe that wasn't what he said. Maybe
0: that's not not what he meant. yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah. The next day, we went out to my uncle's farm. My grandpa was doing some tractor work for him, and it was very hot. It was in the summer, and my grandpa suggested that, that we go swimming. And so my uncle had a pond on the property for the cows, and very soon my cousin and I were in the pond, and we were swimming. And we, we stayed there for several hours, and toward you know the sun is starting to set. My grandpa came back and was going to pick us up to head on home. And so he pulls up on the tractor and says, okay, girls, you know, come on. Well, my cousin just gets up right out of the pond, just walks straight out, not a stitch of clothing on. And I'm watching her, and there's no shame. I mean, nothing. She's not uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. She puts her clothes on. That was not my reality. I'm waiting in the water for my grandpa mm-hmm. to turn around, and he's just sitting on his tractor looking at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting. Finally, he says, Tracy, come on. We've got to go. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm waiting for you to turn around. And he laughs at me and he's like, I've seen you since you were a baby. I, you know, I saw you in diapers and and all of this. And so it became clear that he wasn't Mm going to turn around. And I thought, well, I'll just wait him out. And so I didn't move. I stayed, you know, covered in the water it became a little bit of a standoff but then my grandfather got angry and as he got more and more angry and more and more commanding i i relented and i Mm -hmm. came out of the water as best i could um, covering myself you know as best i could which Mm -hmm. was was pitiful got my clothes on as quick as i could and you know of course he's laughing and and pointing and making comparisons between my cousin's body and my body and i'm i'm just mortified And then, of course, you know, the next day and then even years later, you know, kicking myself that I did not wait him out, that I was not more preserving of of my uh, modesty, that I just refused to come out. I I could have done that. But at that time, I just didn't. I don't know. I was more afraid of of him and his reaction
0: after these two instances and what a span of a week or a few days where you just like, okay, I can't trust my grandpa I've, yeah, you were like, uh. -uh. um,
2: you know, it's really strange, but I still had this level of trust for him. I was trying to only really be around him when my cousin was around. Mm -hmm. I think like instinctively I was avoiding being alone Mm -hmm. with him, Mm -hmm. but I still had a level of trust, uh, clearly not to be alone with him. But there were certain things I thought, oh, he'll make the right decision about this or that, or he'll, it didn't kill my trust for him completely. It just, I was afraid. And Mm -hmm. I was afraid to be alone with him, and I didn't understand the things he was saying and what he was doing, and it it didn't seem to line up with who I thought I knew him to be, which, again, was just very limited knowledge, those holiday visits um, once a year.
0: Just the the natural, uh, any child or teenager would think of naturally, like, this is my grandfather. I'm his granddaughter. Like, this should be fine. And he was well-respected
2: in our family and had always been spoken well of, so Mm -hmm. there was no framework for me to piece all of these new experiences into and so the next morning after that happened at the pond um he got up early and went to the bank and when i came downstairs he had drawn me and my cousin he'd drawn our bodies and naked and had clearly was letting us know he saw us Mm -hmm. and he saw everything about us so i remember i did see my mom that day and i asked her if i could come home and you know, no, I'm not ready for you to come back home. I'm so angry with you. Uh, was her response, and I remember just I didn't tell her, and why I didn't tell her. I'm well, I know why I didn't tell her, but but I just passionately told her I really, really want to come home, and it, it didn't matter, and so I had to go back, mm-hmm. and
0: and your cousin's mm-hmm. response to. Yeah, the drawings and the pond. Right. Yeah, what that was- night. That night
2: at bed, you know, I asked her. I was like trying to feel out what she thought. I mean, clearly, I knew we were different, right? She had gotten out of the pond with not mm-hmm. a hesitation, mm-hmm. and so I asked her one night. We're laying there together and getting ready to, go to sleep, and you know, I said, "Hey, at the pond, did that make you uncomfortable?" And she said, "Oh no, no, that's how he loves me." Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really talk to her about it anymore after that, because mm-hmm. I just knew that she. Something's not right. And, you know, my cousin had been living with my grandparents, since she was a toddler, and she was always sitting on my grandpa's lap. And, I mean, here she is. She's 17 years old at this point. She was five years older than me at that time, but she was a little developmentally delayed. So mentally, she was probably 12. At, At 17 years of age, she was probably... At the level of a twelve year old. So sadly, you know, she just didn't get it. and i mm-hmm. I had no help in her. I had no resource. Right, right. Um, yeah. she didn't understand her own situation. And so it did no good to speak of it. Then the next day, I was upstairs playing some video games, and my grandpa came up, and he sat down beside me. And you know, I was a little uncomfortable just because my cousin wasn't around. My grandma was at work. But he was playing the game with me, and you know we were laughing. Even I thought, okay, we're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, his hand is up my shirt, and I—I I mean, I didn't even feel it; it was just there. And I freeze. I stop playing the game, and I—I I jump up abruptly. I just jump up and I go to the far side of the room, and I'm in the corner. And he's laughing and asking me, "Well, what's wrong, Tracy? What's wrong?" I said nothing, and he just stood, sat there and looked at me, and I just stayed in the corner. And he finally just kind of laughed, chuckled, and got up and left the room. And I'm so glad that that he did that. Mm -hmm. That nothing else progressed. I didn't have to, you know, fight him off. Um, I I think it was clear to him that I wasn't going to just be passive Mm -hmm. as my cousin Mm -hmm. likely was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when he left, I just remember being very angry and sitting on the bed and just sobbing Um, because, you know, at this point. All the justifications Mm -hmm. and the reasons and the possible misunderstandings that I had tried to give him, you know, Mm -hmm. clearly
1: were shattered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: There's no explaining this one. I mean, there really was no explaining the others, but it could not be denied now that he was not a good grandpa <laughs> no. and you know in that corner when i was standing there it was running over and over in my head what they teach you in school just say no just say no we'd all learned that i had mm-hmm. been drilled into me in elementary school but at the time i just remember thinking no one said it would be my grandpa yeah no I'm one right. told me it would be my grandpa do you still say no when it's your grandpa and it's mm-hmm. someone that you have been taught to respect and so mm-hmm. Yes, you do. You still say no. (laughs) Um, And so that was just a really difficult thing. And so I remember sobbing on that bed and waiting to see if he would come back upstairs, listening for his feet on the stairs, because I was sure if he came up those stairs, I would push him down. I was Mm -hmm. so angry. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And so praise God, he did not come back up Mm the stairs. Mm -hmm. And this is where I'm at at 15 years of age. And Mm -hmm. This was kind of the worst of the worst at that point, right? My whole life, yeah. everything seemed to be culminating to this one point in time. And I am as unhappy as I've ever been and trying to understand. And a lot of those questions are resurfacing, right? Why am I here? Yeah. What's my purpose? Yeah. You know, is this it, right? right. This, this man has just abused me. And is this, is that all life is, mm-hmm. is pain and suffering and wickedness and, and and what do I do? And of course, I'm still going to church with Heather every Sunday. That doesn't change. And so I'm in church with her again, normal Sunday. Preacher's preaching his sermon. So I'm listening. So you've gone
0: back home now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I went back home. You know, at the end of the week or two weeks, whatever you know, we ended up being um, went back home. And and
0: and you never told your mom. Um,
1: so I actually I reported it at school,
0: which I have to say is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went home. It'd take a lot of strength. I went home so last boring. Saturday, and I was just like, "Tracy was very courageous at yeah. 15 to report at yeah. all." Yeah, that was amazing kindness of the word to give you that clarity and strength mm-hmm. to say to say something.
2: I appreciate that. Um, yeah. I. I think it was also a truth at the time that I actually felt safer at school yeah. than at home. Mm-hmm. I yeah. felt safer around strangers. I felt safer at church. I felt safer just about anywhere yeah. than I did in my own home. And yeah. so, um, I, I told what happened and, um, again this gets back to what you're taught in elementary a lot of those programs right you know just say no go tell somebody right Mm -hmm. well I'd gotten the say no wrong I didn't do that (laughs) one but I I did tell and I reported and I trusted that good things would happen and it just went horribly wrong Um, I had told you my grandfather was very respected and so this was very hard on the whole family they did not want to hear it Uh, they rejected it and uh, my mother my mother never gave me comfort she never we had one conversation about it and it didn't give me any reassurance. It, yeah. mm-hmm. She heard me. She looked at me and that was it because, you know, she wanted to hear it from me right after I told at the mm-hmm. school she wanted to hear it from me. And my grandfather was furious with me, of course, and no longer was I welcome in his home and so then we would
0: you were probably like that's fine with me." it was totally fine with me it
2: was more than fine it was preferable um but my mother would still go when she was invited and i had to wait in the car you know and this could be hours Mm -hmm. um every family family function family get together now sometimes i just could stay home because i was 15 but sometimes she would just make me go and then i'd have to wait in the car or Mm -hmm. wait outside i was not welcome to go in the house and this you know, what this one. Your
1: the your aunt and, yeah. the, and that family yeah. that you were so close yes. with. Yes. Yes.
2: My aunt was approached uh, mm-hmm. by the police. She was she was also a very respected woman and mm-hmm. um, they went to her. And it's interesting now how I see that really what ended up happening hinged on her response. Mm-hmm. And she acknowledged that to me years later and we had a very sweet conversation about it. Um, but what she told them was that there was nothing that she could remember, you know, that that would indicate this was true of her father, Mm. right? This was pretty much her response. Mm. And so then the end result was that I was a liar. And so her son, my cousin Tommy, my best friend, he hated me from Mm. that point forward. And so, you know, I've told, I thought good things would happen and I just lost my best friend Mm. Um, and my family despises me and I have to be separated even more than I already was separated. And, you know, I wasn't angry with any of them. I mean, I understood they love my grandpa, and here I've said these awful things about him. You know, it was painful for everyone. And so I tried to bear that as best I could. But it, it was so hard. And uh, so this is where I'm at, right? 15. Yeah. And trying to get it right. And just things go him. Did, from... de- did Heather know? Um, I don't remember really ever telling Heather. And if I did, it might have been later yeah. when I was out of the, the brunt of it. Yeah. Now, she was a safe Place a safe source. I definitely could tell Heather anything. Um, when I told at school, they you know they let me know we'll come talk to your family and and everybody about it. And so, um, but my aunt's response to the police pretty much closed that investigation. So at fifteen, all I know is everyone's angry with me. Yeah, He's gotten right. by with it.
0: Yeah,
2: nothing is really Everybody's happening. Coming to my yeah. events. have yeah. yeah. no
0: resource.
2: Right, and so I'm in church. All those big questions are swirling around right now. They've yeah. erupted from within me. God used this to. Um, restore that same desire that he had always planted in Mm -hmm. me um, for himself. And Mm -hmm. so the pastor that Sunday preaches, you know, like he always does. And this was a small Baptist church and they always had their altar call at the end. And, you know, they always preach salvation every Sunday, Mm -hmm. no matter what the sermon was, we're (laughs) going to have a 10 or 15 minute section on salvation, you know, by God's grace. And Mm -hmm. there'd be some scriptures about that. And so I remember sitting there and, all of a sudden I just was compelled to go forward. I just knew Mm -hmm. I had to go forward and I went forward and I just knelt down. I didn't even know what to say, but I'm just telling the God of the universe, I need you. I don't know what to do. And I know I'm a sinner. I always had known I was a sinner, but I didn't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And so I can't do anything about it. And so I'm just crying there and crying out to him and, and that's it. That's really all there was. I, there was no formulaic prayer. There was no structure in my mind other than falling before mm-hmm. this God of the universe and asking him to help me. Mm-hmm. And so when I stood up, I went to the pastor. You know, you always, after you prayed, you'd go up and they'd mm-hmm. come ask you, you know, what you prayed about. And so I remember I'm looking at him and I'm trying to explain what I just did. And I'm like, he's I like prayed. prayed. Don't really understand yeah, it. Yeah. right yourself. <laughs> I was like, I, I prayed, and he's like, Yeah. And I was like, I need God. Pastor's nodding his head at me. Yeah. I said, I'm a sinner, and his eyes light up. And he says, You're saved. You got saved. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but I know something's different, right? Yeah. I came forward, threw myself down cried out to God, and I know he has heard me. And so did my life change from that moment forward? Yes. (laughs) The inner man in me changed, and no longer was I alone, and no longer was God this distant being, but real and present. And I had hope for the first time in my life. I just had hope, and I wanted to tell everyone about Jesus and about God. And so, yes, inside of me, huge shift I'm a new person, right? I don't even know what that means yet, but Mm -hmm. you know but on the outside, right? The the real world, my my house, my family, my mom, her husband, my grandpa, all of those things are still very much the same. They're very much the same. And so a new problem develops, you know, things kind of settle into a new normal right i mean, so did
1: you tell people did you tell Heather and her family
2: oh, oh yeah they all knew or... I was telling people on the bus I was yeah. telling people at school <laughs> you know, I was trying to lead some of my friends to God you know and sometimes they'd listen to me nod their head you know and you could tell they're just being polite yeah. right yeah. and I think one I think one friend one one I don't even know if they were a friend honestly but I considered them my friend but <laughs> one, one one teenager that I talked to said that they prayed you know and God knows the truth of that but So things kind of settle a little, right? Um, I'm not going to my grandpa's house. He's not able to do any more things to me. And my family, they calm down. They're still angry and hurt and upset. But we settle into a new normal. Mm -hmm. I just don't go over there. We don't really talk about it, right? It becomes the skeleton in the closet. And um, my mom, I think Mary's husband, number four, who, her third husband died of cancer. So then she, my mother was never single very long. She'd always be remarried within six months or a year. She married this other man who was a pervert um, mm-hmm. and abusive to my brother, physically abusive to my brother, mm-hmm. and a very large man. And he was built like a bull. He was just huge. Um, and he hit me one time at the table. We were having dinner, and I don't remember what what happened, what I did, or what was said. But next thing I know, he'd hit me, and. I, God gave me the courage. I just looked him right in the eye and I said, if you touch me again, I am calling the police. I just—it wasn't even my words. Like I couldn't even tell? tell you. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you that I had even thought those yeah, words right. before I spoke them. I think God yeah. just was. Yeah, I think definitely. God knew how to get him to stop. Right. Yeah. 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 And God was protecting me. And mm. he never. He never hit me again. Um. Mm-hmm. He did still always beat up on my brother, and it was not uncommon mm-hmm. that he would be punching my brother mm-hmm. in the face, punching, punching, and I would be the one. I'd look to my mother first. Mom, this is your son. Get him off get him off and she would just she just stand there and she wouldn't do anything and i would be the one hitting this grown man Mm -hmm. getting on his back trying to pull him off my brother you know and he's just Mm -hmm. laughing right i mean it's it's weak and ineffectual i mean i'm a kid and he's he's huge Mm -hmm. he would stop right but probably just because he was done beating on my brother. But the result of all that was that my brother had to go away somewhere to like a behavioral hospital. And oh, I right. got ridiculed on the bus. People were like, oh, your brother's crazy. And you know, they had no idea. Oh, you know, wow. it, No, he's not. Yeah. It, you know, My yeah. mom's husband is beating him to a pulp, and he's the one that has to go. Yeah, right. yeah. And so we all had to go to counseling at this behavioral hospital. And my mother, you know, when she married this man, she told me to lock my door at night. Like That's what she says to me. Wow. You lock your door at night, Tracy. And so I had to lock my bedroom door every night. And I'm so naive. Like, I have no idea why, right? Right. I mean, I can guess. Yeah. You know, it can't be good. (sighs) I saw how you treated my brother. So, okay, I'll lock my door. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember telling the counselor that I said, listen, you know, I don't know why my brother's here. My mom's husband beat him up. And yet he's the one here. Mm -hmm. Her husband needs to be here. And the counselor agreed with me. Mm -hmm. And when I told her that, you know, my mom tells me to lock my door at night. And the Mm -hmm. counselor looks right at my mother and says, that's not right. You should not have to tell your daughter, your teenage daughter, to lock her door from your husband. Mm. And my mom divorced him, like, immediately. Oh, and wow. so I, it just amazes me that it shows how lacking my mother was yeah. in discernment yeah. and yeah. making these good decisions. But how how good counsel yeah. really mm-hmm. could have helped her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But she never sought it. Mm-hmm. And she only got it this time because she was forced to. Right, right. And so... I was very grateful, though, right? How how that played out, and that she divorced this man, and
0: God really protected, yeah, yeah,
2: protected you. No longer had to live with him, and my brother was free of being physically abused by him all the time. But so throughout this time with him, um, and they divorce. I'm still going to church every Sunday, but I'm also going on Wednesdays now, right, Mm -hmm. and Sunday evening. And so very quickly, my mother is just she's growing very jealous of the time that I'm at the church, and does not want me to go to church. And so, I think around, uh, well, around seventeen years of age, going into my senior year of high school, this is just coming to a head. You know, I became a believer at fifteen. Mm-hmm. I've been going faithfully, and and she's getting more and more angry and more and more jealous of Heather's family and my aunt because I always want to mm-hmm. be somewhere, right? I right. always want to be at church with her or my aunt's house or my friend Heather's house, and so she's just so eaten up with with her own inadequacies and. Mm-hmm. You know, And it is a hard, hard truth for a mother to bear if your children don't want to be around you. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are seeking to flee your presence, mm-hmm. then that is, that is a very hard thing um, to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. And so she just would blame everybody else, right? I'm going to blame the church and blame yeah. my sister and blame your friend Heather and her parents. And so she told me I couldn't go to church. And I obeyed her the first few Sundays. And then I met with the pastor about it, and I asked him what he thought I should do. You know, I wanted to obey her, but this was wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he says, well, you know, you have to honor God over man, and you have to um, you have to obey God.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I took that to mean that I was not going to obey my mother in this, that I would still go to church. And so I remember one Sunday morning, I got up, and I had not been going, and I told my mother, you know, that Sunday, I said, I'm going to church. and. My mother was furious. No, you're not. I've said you're not. You know, you need to obey me. And and I just looked at her and I was like, Mom, I could be on the streets doing drugs. I just want to go to church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and so she loses it she just becomes so angry and she slams the door shut to my room and she grabs the I had blinds in my room window blinds and she took the rod that was for the Mm -hmm. blinds and she pulled it off and just starts hitting me with it all over my back and my legs and I mean blood she's drawing blood I've got these Mm -hmm. huge whelps developing on the backs of my legs and all up and down my back um, and she's furious, just hitting me over and over and over. And I'm covering my head. I'm just trying to protect my head mm-hmm. any way I can. And it's it hurts and it stings. And I'm just scared. I'm just scared mm-hmm. because here I've unleashed this monster. you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I just still want to go to church. So I'm already thinking when she's done, right, yeah. <laughs> I can get up and go to church. But she locks me in my room. She takes all of my clothes and burns them. And so um, at that time, I was wearing skirts and dresses because the church that I became a believer in, they took that verse literally, you know, Deuteronomy 20, chapter 22, about the woman doesn't wear what the man wears, man doesn't wear what pertains to a woman. Um, And the whole chapter is talking about war and all of this. But at the time, I just. Trusted the church's interpretation yeah. and right. took it very literally, and so it's I wore worst
0: things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wore skirts. And,
2: I wore skirts and dresses all the time, and so I just think those clothes even were such a reminder mm-hmm. for her, and they just triggered her mm-hmm. jealousy. Right, it was this visible change in her daughter, and so she burned my clothing, and then I had to wear her clothes. From the '70s, which she pulled out of the attic, um, she was, you know, overweight at this time, and I could not wear her current clothes, right. um, and so she went back to her younger years and and pulled these old old polyester bubble. I mean, it was blast from the past. (laughs) And that's my clothing choice, right? And to go to school. And so um, not only now I'm not able to go to church, but I have these awful clothes, which I did not want to be seen in at school, much less Mm. church, because they were very tight and fitted. And I was just mortified. And the kids were making fun of me and making comments. The boys were especially rude. And, um, and so I just, every day I would just walk up and down the halls and just you know, it only, it only happened a few days because I, again, I reported my mother for what happened. So that quickly changed my reality. Yeah. I, I told the school, you know, what had happened. I wanted to go to church and and she hit me and what she hit me with. And I showed them, I mean, the marks were there for over Mm -hmm. a month. The marks were Mm -hmm. on my body. And so I showed them and they were able to see. And when I got off the bus that night, um, there was a car in my driveway and it was a social worker. And so they were asking my mother what happened. And my mother said, oh, she did that to herself. And so the social worker, of course, challenged this because mm-hmm. the Good marks were all up and down the back yeah. of my body.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like, how because would she I had, do that Yeah, yourself,
2: I was standing without. with my back to her when she started and then I, I curled into a ball. And so the only part she could hit me was the back. And you can't mm-hmm. do that to yourself. You just wouldn't be able no, to do that to right. yourself. And so, you know, she's confronted my mother with this. She looks at my mother and says you need counseling you all need counseling and she left and i remember thinking i'm dead
1: that's yeah. it. oh wow
2: like you you you've come yeah. and you've confronted my mother and now you're leaving what this is
0: help yeah right. <laughs> what's so, what? gonna make it happen again yeah
2: yeah but again god's mercy Great. um she looks at me and just says go pack and i had about 20 minutes to throw whatever i could in a bag And she drove me to Indiana and dropped me off at her second husband's doorstep with my brother, you know, Thomas, my half brother. And this is his dad, who he's not seen in six years. So, is this Richard? Yes, Richard, yeah. She drops us off on his doorstep at midnight. By now, he has a new wife and they have a new baby together, a little boy. Mm -hmm. And so here we are waking them up at midnight. They're coming to the door, they're trying to wake up. They've got two teenagers on their doorstep, and my mom is burning rubber, you know, out of their driveway. And I just looked at him and I said, she's angry with me and she's leaving us with you. And that's what I said. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, come in. And we all went to bed. And the next day, you know, we kind of made a plan. He's like, well, you know, you can stay here till you graduate. I was three months away from graduating mm-hmm. my senior year in high school. After I graduated high school, I was a little aimless for a bit. I wasn't sure. I didn't know what I wanted to do for my career. So I wasn't ready to start college.
1: So what did you do after you graduated from high school? If Richard i given you the timeline of moving. I imagine he had meant that you were to move out after you graduated from high school. Uh,
2: I, I took it that way. Uh, I didn't read between the lines. I just took it
0: mm-hmm. literally. Yeah.
2: So that reality combined with not knowing what to do, combined with I'd been uprooted from my church, mm-hmm. all of that just led to me just wanting to go home just yeah. go back to kentucky and
1: the few people in your life that you knew that cared about you and where you had been given spiritual strength and encouragement and yeah where they, you had been loved
2: yeah my home church was just such a source of comfort for me and well I and just, heather
1: too yeah yeah
2: my best friend yeah and and i just wanted to get back there and this also seemed the time to do that um when my mom had been driving us to indiana i mean i was just crying and so upset and i didn't understand you know i was being uprooted in that moment i knew i'm not going to see my church Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i'm not going to see them for however long and i I didn't understand what god was doing i felt it was the right thing to report my mother but you know now here i was being ripped away from Mm -hmm. my church and so in my mind, I remember that whole drive to Indiana thinking, I'm going back, I'm going back, I'm going back. Yeah. And so graduating from high school, not really having a solid plan and understanding that I was to, you know, I could stay there until I graduated. It just seemed that this was the direction that I was mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. So.
1: so when you got back to Kentucky, what'd you do? So when I got back, of course, I, you know,
2: immediately um, I looked at my friend Heather and I was going to live with her, which her family was very kind and gracious about. And I started a job that I had been working at before. Mm-hmm. So went back to work mm-hmm. and started right in with with church, going to church. And, and it was great to be back mm-hmm. with the people that, you know, that loved me and that I knew best at that time in my life. But when I was 15 and became a believer, mm-hmm. you know, my prayers changed mm-hmm. up to that point in life. My prayers were mostly, why am I here? What's the true church? You know, who, who's preaching the Bible? Like, what is the truth? And right. and what am I supposed to do? And why did you let me live? And like, I felt like there should be a purpose there, right? right. You let this baby live mm-hmm. there. There should be a purpose. And so after I became a believer, of course, I'm reading my Bible and I'm trying to understand the scripture mm-hmm. and God has you know given me the Holy Spirit. And so I'm. I'm able to discern things from verses that I never saw before. I went from having no hope and and my life seemed very bleak to hope and a, and a hope to come of, of heaven and mm-hmm. the world beyond this one. And that gave me great joy and a focus apart from the rest of my life, which was unchanged. The situation at home was not any different.
0: But... None of these things separate us from the love of God and the love of God was with Mm -hmm. you and upon you Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. was preserving you in your life.
2: He also helped it not separate my love for him. There Mm. were dark, dark times where I questioned everything. You know, even after I'm a believer and you're still suffering and you're still going through pain, you just you think, what, what, what is all this? Because God is not he's not present like we are in the Mm -hmm. flesh. We we can't always see him or touch him or get those assurances Mm -hmm. and they're found in his word. And so, yes, he, part of all of this, I think has been to help me learn how he loves me, but to also help me cling to him Mm -hmm. and not, not turn away and not, um, not stop loving him or Mm. trying to love him. I know Mm. our love is is very weak and Mm. uh, not at all the same kind of love that he has for us. Mm -hmm. But it says perfect love, cast out fear. Mm -hmm. And so I just keep, you you just have to keep praying and asking God for that perfect love. Mm. And I think a lot of these struggles have been for my good to help me, uh, to help me know what kindness truly is and to help me Mm. see sin rightly, Mm. to help me understand how he does help us through Uh, he didn't take suffering away he didn't take pain away my life didn't get better overnight Uh, but i wasn't alone in my suffering anymore I, i wasn't alone in all that pain i have a heavenly father who loves me i have his word i have the church and i have a purpose god's taught me that my purpose is to glorify and enjoy him
1: forever monumental is hosted by katie walker and amy molina it is produced and edited by katie walker and it is executive produced by nathan alberson and jake mensel if you like the show please don't forget to rate and review in the app of your choice and if you're interested in more great content including articles and other podcasts please visit
0: warhornmedia.com